guys. Welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. That's me. I'm Bill Barnwell. As you might suspect, today I'm talking about what happened with the Bears on Sunday and the Justin Fields situation, the fiasco of a game from the Bears offense. And joining me to talk about that, yes, exactly the guest you would have hoped for. It's the Athletics' Robert Mays. We're going to get to that in a second. But first, before we get into today's episode, Organized Chaos is ESPN's newest podcast, hosted by former NFL coach Rex Ryan and his former Jets and Ravens linebacker, Bart Scott. The duo will be reunited in this weekly podcast with new episodes every Monday that will provide listeners with expert insight and analysis on everything happening around the league, featuring trending stories from on and off the field. That's Organized Chaos. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Also, the Peabody and Emmy award-winning 30 for 30 film series presents Once Upon a Time in Queens, a four-part documentary event about the city, swagger, and wild ride of the 86 Mets. This documentary explores the epic tale of one of baseball's most dominant and iconoclastic teams and their legendary World Series comeback. Hear from former Mets players and fans, including Daryl Strawberry, Keith Hernandez, Bill Burr, Cindy Lauper, and more. All four parts of Once Upon a Time in Queens are available to stream on ESPN Plus and the ESPN app immediately. All right, without further ado, Here's Robert Mace. Talk about what happened with the Bears on Sunday. All right. Joining me, as promised, here on the show, the only person who I was willing to have as a guest this week, the only person who was qualified to discuss what happened with Justin Fields on Sunday. Frankly, the only person I know you as listeners to this show would be willing to accept as a guest after that game was the Athletics' Robert Mays. Thankfully, he has answered the call. Robert Mays is here to talk about what happened with the Bears against the Browns this weekend. Mays, I'm sorry, but also this is your civic duty. Yeah, I, I have a couple of responses to that. One, this is just a reminder of how good of a friend you are to me that I'm willing to come do this for you right now sure. after how rough the last 48 hours have been. Two, am I the only person qualified to talk about it just because I'm so used to terrible, disastrous quarterback play and offensive performances? Is that the reason? I was thinking you were the only one brave enough to make it through the entire game tape without... Uh turning it off in disgust or terror. So that was basically my logic. I, I did. I've watched it multiple times. <laughs> I, I watched every <laughs> single offensive snap again on the broadcast view on Sunday night before we did our show. And then I watched the entire All-22 over again this morning. It, it didn't get any better on the second or third viewing. I'll be honest <laughs> with you. It slowly got worse and worse and worse. When I got to see all 22 players at a time, that really put into perspective just how bad it was. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, it it was as bad as I remember seeing the NFL offense perform. And I mean, like, I, I don't watch great offenses all the time. Like, I've had to do deep dives into tape for Sam Darnold the past few years, for Josh Rosen, um, you know, for Baker Mayfield the year with the Browns. Like, I'm I'm used to bad offenses. I'm a Giants fan. Like, I got to watch the Giants every week. And I'm going to tell you, their tape is not especially great a fair amount of the time. So I, I feel like I have a very comfortable bar for dealing with bad football tape. And this was next level. Like this was, 
I, I, I got angry. I was sad. I felt a little ashamed. Like the, I felt emotions I don't typically feel watching football, watching the all 22 of this game. Yeah, I also experienced the full gamut of emotions. It, there was a little bit of embarrassment. I, I was horrified. I was frustrated. And I think the reason that the responses were all over the place is that the mistakes were all over the place. There were so many different things that went wrong over the course of this game. It, it was individual offensive linemen getting beat in moments that just completely short-circuited apply. It was play design just not making any sort of sense. It was Justin Fields holding onto the ball too long. I mean, there was one play, I want to say in the second quarter, with the sack by JOK that was 100% on him. It was an RPO to Darnell Mooney. That ball has to be out. But that's that wasn't the problem throughout the entire game. Th- those numbers about how long he was holding onto the ball, I feel are extremely misleading. Because a lot of those sacks were after he tried to scramble. So he's moving and he's holding out of the ball for three or four seconds because he's trying to get outside of the pocket. This was not Justin Fields holding onto the ball for way too long. That was part of the issue, but there were tons more issues. I mean, every single thing that the Bears did in this game just didn't seem to work. Every single idea that they had fell short. They didn't have any solutions or any ways to pivot from the game plan that they already had. I thought the Browns game plan was excellent. There were like three or four different plays where whatever the Bears dialed up in that situation, the Browns had the perfect defense call for it later in the game. They were just sitting on routes because they understood the Bears had to get the ball out. And that's the problem with these sort of games, right? You know this. It all just starts to unravel. You start to spiral because you have no answers, and then you start to press. And then, I mean, the, the poll he threw that was intercepted outside of a very weak pass interference call on John Johnson, that's a, I just don't know what else to do. This ball is leaving my hand right now sort of play. And eventually, that's what started to happen. I mean, it was, again, a failure on like four or five different levels. And that's how you see a quarterback go six of 20 and get sacked nine times and have one total passing yard. Yeah. I mean, I can look like a great defensive coordinator if my front four only has to like twist a little bit or just straight up pass <laughs> rush and, you know, destroy the opposing offense. Like, yeah, I could tell seven defenders, hey, play zone or play man and they'll be fine. Like, or, or don't worry about anything breaking 10 yards past you. Just break on the ball within, you know, within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage. Like any def- defense is going to look good under those circumstances. Um, and, and to your point, there's a lot of moments in that game where it felt like Justin Fields was not, you know, thinking in the way that a quarterback in the NFL thinks. It was just, hey, this ball has to get out because I'm about to get murdered. So I'm going to throw this into danger. I'm going to throw it into a contested area. I'm going to throw it up to my receiver. And that's, I, I don't fault him for that. I, I don't see that as a, a Justin Fields issue. I see that as a, a an issue with like the circumstances you are putting your rookie quarterback into. Um, can I give you my favorite moment and my least favorite moment from the first Justin Field start. Is it the butt pass? Is that your favorite? The favorite moment? My favorite one is the butt pass. You nailed it. Uh, an RPO where uh, I don't, I don't know how I want to characterize Jason Peters movement. I would say like meanders, like just like a dude on like a, a nice, he was not drunk, but like if you're watching like a drunk person stumble down the street, and just like uh, on a nice like nightly stroll, four yards past the line of scrimmage in the way, in the right in Justin Fields passing lane, 
And he hits just a hit at Jason Peters, who this was not the moment they'll show when he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame this game. Uh, just hits him right in the butt. That was a great moment. And then there was another play where Jason Peters tried to cut Miles Garrett on a third down. And it was like third and 10. Yes. And in the moment, Greg Olson was doing this game, who I've enjoyed his color commentary in the few games yeah. that he's done so far. And in the moment, I can't see the routes develop, right? Because I'm watching the broadcast angle. And he says, mm-hmm. well, maybe that he thought the ball was going to be out. But then you watch the play on all 22. It's a downfield passing concept. <laughs> Why is he cutting on third and 10 when every single guy is running to the sticks? It's just that was the type of game that it was. The RPO off the butt was amazing. But even the RPO off the butt, Allen Robinson just sits down for like a three-yard gain. I mean, it's truly remarkable when you watch this offense, just how the component parts never fit together. Like We're going to talk about the Niners, I think, in a little bit here. And when I watch the Niners, the Niners offense no longer excites me. Like I, It's not interesting to me anymore. It's a lot of the same stuff that we've seen over the last couple years, but it's so precise. And when the way that they, the details of it are so right, and when they're even high-lowing linebackers with certain concepts, it's like, all right, I understand how the pieces fit together, even if I find Jimmy Garoppolo's version of this somewhat boring now. With the Bears, there's none of that. Like, there's absolutely none of that. It's just none of the pieces fit together. There was one play that really stuck out to me. It was an incompletion in the second half where he tried to throw a comeback to Marquise Goodwin on the right sideline. And it was the same sort of like levels, boot, play play action concept that we see play out 100 times a weekend in the NFL. And Jimmy Graham is running the second level route coming across the field and Cole Komet is in the flat. Cole Komet, for reasons that are still unknown to me, as Justin Fields is running, is booting to the right, takes his route up the field. So Cole Komet and Jimmy Graham are standing next to each other. And then Fields is forced to forced to force the ball to Goodwin down the right sideline. And it's incomplete. And it's like, this is the thing. There's just the timing, the spacing. It Nothing works together. And when you have a quarterback who clearly is in a little over his head right now, and he's getting no help from his personnel, from the offensive structure, from the offensive ideas. It's really, really frustrating to watch. Yeah, I mean, that's why I I tweeted this out after watching the tape. I I know the popular comparison for this game has been the Adam Gase Jets. And, you know, like, it's all bad. Like, I I don't want to pretend that I'm like, you know, this is like being like a sommelier for like box wine. You know, where where you're like, they're all bad. None of them are good. Like, there's no good offenses in this mix. But having seen them all or having seen so many of them, this reminded me so much of a Freddie Kitchens 2019 Browns game where you just have like you have guys who are running routes to the wrong depth or offensive linemen who are not hitting the places they need to hit on screens. Or you have guys who are being asked to do things they can't do as part of the offense. And as a result, you have a quarterback who's just totally lost and totally just running for his life or or just stuck and has no choice but to either make a bad throw or make a bad decision or get hit. I the the worst moment of this game for me, and here here's the scary part about this. I don't know whether I imagine this or not. Like I saw so many blown blocks and so many ugly moments in this game that I might have just imagined this in my head 
but I'm pretty sure there was a moment in this game where the Bears ran like play action off a split zone and they brought Jimmy Graham across the formation oh, this to happened. block Miles Garrett. No, he did <laughs> not. He did not block Miles Garrett. He slipped into the flat and just ran right okay. by Miles Garrett. And that okay. left Justin Fields to deal with Miles Garrett as he was sitting there coming off the edge. And on that play, yes. that play is a, it's a perfect example. I'm so glad that you pointed out that play. That is a failure to me on two different levels. One, it took Jimmy Graham 10 seconds to get across the formation on that play. It was Miles Garrett was already chasing Justin Fields before <laughs> Jimmy Graham got into the flat to be an outlet on that play. And at that point in the game, Jimmy Graham should not be in the flat on that play. They ran one play that I can think of in this game. It was in the first half. It was in the second quarter. They had Komet come across on that split zone, but he sealed off the backside. Because what the Browns were doing, the Browns were in three safety personnel in this game a ton. And they would just have Ronnie Harrison scream off the edge against Mm -hmm. those boots. And it was a disaster in the red zone one time. And that's what a lot of teams are doing against some of these boot teams. They're like, you know what? I don't care if my linebacker that's walked down here doesn't play the backside of this run. We're blowing Mm -hmm. this up for a negative play. As team continue to do that, you have to seal off the backside. You have to muddy this up and just jam it up in some way. The one time they did that and moved the pocket, he completed a ball to Allen Robinson down the left sideline. It was one of his six completions in this game. But they just refused to do it ever again. So instead of just trying to muck up and the protection and just try to keep six or seven guys in, just say, we're going to have two or three guys out in routes. Like if this isn't going to work, then we're going to lose some other way. They refused to do that at any point. And it just kept coming downhill. It was just, oh, I'm just getting more and more frustrated as I think about it and talk about it again. It's just, that play is such a great example because it's just, again, it's a failure on so many different levels. That's what it was. I, I, I saw Jimmy Graham coming across the formation lumbering across the formation to block miles garrett and i was just like oh no it was like a monster movie like it was seeing like someone sneak up on uh a very slow moving person but then he didn't block him at all because he was too good even if he even if his his assignment had been to block miles garrett he wasn't getting over there in time anyway so um what a uh what a fun experience what a fun game there was one other thing that i wanted to mention that i think is is also pretty emblematic of the problems is that the Bears tried to go empty a couple different times. So the, the Browns played the Browns played six snaps of man coverage in this entire game. I mean, that that's not they play as a lot of zone. That's what they do as a team. They played six snaps, snaps of man coverage according to the numbers I saw on True Media. And the Bears on a couple different third downs tried to go empty in order to get a tell from the Browns about what kind of coverage they were in. So they had either David Montgomery or Damian Williams lined up wide to one side. And typically when teams do that, if the corner goes out with the running back, they think, okay, it's zone. Like they wouldn't do that if it wasn't zone coverage. The Browns on multiple occasions kept Denzel Ward out on the running back because they were in three safety personnel and they were not afraid in the slightest of the matchups they had across the board with everyone else. So they could waste an upper echelon cover corner on a running back because of how unafraid they were of every single other option the Bears had in man coverage, which as a rookie quarterback, you're sitting out there being like, oh, he the corner's out there. It's probably zone. And then they come out in sticky man coverage when you have nothing but routes at the sticks called. It's just, oh, man. I mean, that's just another example where out-schemed, out-talented, 
it just out everything in this game. And, and that's how you end up with the result that we had. Okay. So in the big picture, how do I want to frame this question? Hmm. Who in your eyes, by your opinion, whose stock fell the furthest for you on the bears after this game? And there's a lot of options and not a lot of people heading into this game had particularly high stock to begin with. So I think there's a lot of possible answers here, but whether it be a player, whether it be a coach, whether it be an executive, who do you fault most or who are you most disappointed by after this first game? I wouldn't say his stock fell the furthest or that I'm the most disappointed in him because I'm pretty consistently disappointed in him. But I think the person who was done in by this game the most was Matt Nagy. Because if you were clinging to the idea that this could get better in Chicago, the argument and the rationalization was rooted in this idea that now that the Bears picked their quarterback, and now that Matt Nagy got his guy that he got to trade up for in the draft, maybe things would be different. And even if he was forced into action sooner than they wanted him in there, even if he maybe wasn't ready, the performance that the offense put on just by virtue of their plan it was unacceptable. I mean, think about what Sean Payton has done. You could just put five quarterbacks in a Yahtzee thing and roll them onto the table and pick one, and Sean Payton could get you a competent NFL offense. And I'm not saying that I need Matt Nagy to be Sean Payton, but I need it to look better than this. Even if he's not ready, we see backup quarterbacks play in the NFL all the time, all the time. And they're, they're, they are able to construct a game plan that makes them a functional NFL offense. And they, st- they couldn't do that. They could not create a simplified, safe approach to this game where they just said, you know what? We're going to have him on the move. We're going to run the ball a ton. We're going to do this and that and just protect him in every way that we can. They didn't protect him whatsoever, literally, figuratively. And that, to me, is the biggest failure in this entire thing. It's just the fact that now you had an entire week. It's not like he got thrown out there in the second quarter and this started happening. You knew that he was your quarterback this entire week. You've known since May that this guy was on the roster, and maybe we should start thinking about what the offense would look like as they constructed it around him. And to me, it's just another reminder that we're out of excuses. We're out of reasons why this regime's offensive staff is the answer moving forward because I just don't know what the possible argument for that would be. Well, I mean, they haven't played change the play caller in a few weeks. I know that's usually what the solution is. <laughs> they haven't played it this year. Usually that's their solution is just either firing the guy who's not calling the plays or changing the play caller or letting, I forget which one of these, whether Nagy is calling plays now or not. Um, he is. Oh, oh he is. <laughs> yes, he is. He's back um, calling plays well, again. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, I agree. And I mean, I think you brought up the part that really bothers me is that let's say the Eagles last year with Jalen Hurts, for example, like they were not planning on Jalen Hurts being their starting. Great example. Like they, you know, it it worked out that way because what happened with Carson Wentz happened with Carson Wentz, but like that was not the plan. So I, I would not have faulted them if they had had a limited amount of offensive stuff for him to work with. And Jalen Hurts, with all due respect to Jalen Hurts, was not the prospect 
Justin Fields was coming into the NFL. So uh, I, I felt like that's a different situation. But the Ravens, when they had Lamar Jackson, even though Lamar Jackson was not starting that season, they kind of figured, okay, we drafted this guy in the first round. When he comes into the starting lineup, we need to be ready. Now, granted, they had more to work with for Lamar Jackson in the year totally. two. The offense was more uh, was more creative in year two. Of course, he won MVP. But like when Lamar Jackson got in the lineup, he was not running the Joe Flacco offense. And I, it, it, it feels like Matt Nagy kept telling people, yeah, I'm going to install this offense. And then either didn't know what to do or just kept putting it off or just hoped that he wouldn't have to. But I mean, this was embarrassing. Like this was, this was going up in front of the class and showing you haven't done your homework and doing that to an embarrassing degree. Now, and when you've told the class all off season, or you've hinted at the idea all mm-hmm. off season that this time is going to be different, that that that's the really frustrating part about this is that we already knew all this stuff. It, every, every Bears fan, every person who watches this team closely knew all of this by the end of last year, because last year that was the argument, right? Nick Foles knows the system. We got our guy here. We have somebody that, you know, this is a guy I've worked with. It's going to be different now. And then it wasn't. And then the only reason that Bears fans have this temporary amnesia, or at least I tried to talk myself into this version of it in some way, because at a certain point, why not just see if it's going to work? But the entire argument was rooted in the fact that because it's a different quarterback, now it's going to be different. But there's really no reason to believe that. I said this the night that Justin Fields was drafted. And it's been the thing that I never could get out of my head, even as I was excited about him. Everyone else in the building isn't a different person because Justin Fields is the quarterback. Everyone else there is still the same guy. The same mistakes and the same troubles still plague this team that we're already around. Nothing is solved because Justin Fields is there now, except Mm -hmm. maybe you have more talent at quarterback. But if every other part of the infrastructure isn't set up to get the most out of that talented quarterback, then right. nothing else really matters. Can I, can I throw another argument in there for people who I'm uh, going to argue maybe have made mistakes in years past and left the Bears in a difficult situation is Ryan Pace, a guy who I pick on quite a bit. But I mean, yes, they have, there have been injuries up front, but like the Bears were starting Jason Peters and Jermaine Effetti at tackle in this game. And they were, I mean, they were hopeless. <laughs> I'm just, I just remembered the play where, and I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not an offensive line expert, Maze. You, you're someone who goes to offensive line camps. I don't know if this is taught. I know there's some interesting techniques. Is there any technique where uh, Astro Manifetti did on a, on a uh, Genevieve Clowney sack on Sunday? Is there any technique where you, let a guy beat you to the inside and then launch him directly at your quarterback like a shot put. Not that I know of. Not that I know um, of. That, that one was pretty rare to me. But like when you get your offensive line to this point where you have Sam Mustafers overmatched on the interior, um, where you have guys who should not be playing tackle at the NFL level in pass protection playing tackle. Like, yes, you can say, okay, James Daniels got hurt. Or sorry, James Daniels. Uh, Kevin Jenkins got hurt and that's a bummer, but like they let it get to this point. They are the guys who kept trading up at the draft. They cut, they cut cut Charles Charles Leno for, they just cut him. 
Charles Leno is not a great player, but he is a functional left tackle who is always on the field. And even if, let's say there's no difference between Jason Peters and Charles Leno right now, or not a huge difference. I'm willing to hear that argument, but let's not as act as if this Jason Peters thing is a product of circumstances. They did this to themselves. They cut Charles Leno in part because they're paying Jimmy Graham $8 million a year, and they paid him $60 million over two years. They, they have made moves where they have been like, no, actually, we're going to do it this way because we're smarter than everybody else. The, 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 the cap maneuvers they made in years past, the big trade of multiple first-round picks or trading up over and over again. And I think for the good things the Bears have done, and I think that there are things they've done that have been totally smart moves or totally reasonable moves, like this is what you're left with. You're left with a team that is just totally overmatched by a significantly better run franchise. And it's it's tough to watch, you know? And, and I think the other part of it, and this isn't really pace necessarily, but more so Nagy, like the arrogance of these press conferences have been like, oh, well, this is a scheme thing uh, when it comes to starting Andy Dalton. Like, like, like as if there's some intrinsic knowledge of X's and O's that nobody possesses but Matt Nagy or the people in the Bears organization. Like, yes, coaches know a lot more than the fans or the media, but like, you guys don't deserve the benefit of the doubt here. Like, you're the ones who signed Mike Glenn into a big contract, in Ryan Pace's case. You're the ones who drafted Mitch Trubisky and traded it to get him ahead of Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. You're the ones who kept insisting Trubisky was a franchise quarterback until two years after everyone else, you kind of realized he was not that guy. You're the ones who traded for Nick Foles and said he was the scheme because uh, he knows the scheme and we have to pay him this much money over three years. You're the ones who signed Andy Dalton to a big contract and then traded it for Justin Fields a month later. Like, at what point do you not get the benefit of the doubt? At what point should we be sitting here saying, you know what, you guys don't know what you're doing. And like, like, yes, I'm sure if we sat down and went through a playbook, there would be West Coast calls that I don't understand that Matt Nagy understands, but like, you have to see the forest for the trees here. And the Bears at this point don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. They haven't earned the right to sit here and say, we're the experts because what they've done in terms of their player uh, decision-making process at quarterback, I think the vast majority of people would have done better. And I think the product they put on the field on Sunday around Justin Fields was amateurish. It was embarrassing. And so many decisions have led up to that point and so many sort of uh, arrogant choices have been made about their knowledge level but like you can't do that anymore like at some point you have to be honest you can't just hide behind football speak and hide behind you know belichicking press conferences you haven't earned that and this felt like it, 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 it just felt so hopeless for justin fields and i mean having seen so many young quarterbacks just wither on the vine and fail because they've been stuck in the wrong situation. Like, I, 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 I don't want to see coaches get fired for the sake of getting fired, but I can't fault anybody who felt like the Bears needed to make a change after this game because it was just, it, it, it was just such little help for a player who we know from college can be such a special talent. I was talking to Adam Johns, who covers the, the Bears for the Athletic. Uh, during training camp. I, I went to a bunch of different camps and talked to mm -hmm. one of the athletic writers pretty much everywhere I went. 
And I asked him, I, was, I asked him about the timeline and the expectations for Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace. It's like, all right, does this mean with the Justin Fields pick that the clock kind of resets a little bit? Are they going to have time to do this? And my understanding coming away from that conversation was that they would have time to see this through. I don't know if they deserve time to see this through. I don't know if just drafting Justin Fields should be enough to give you a chance beyond this season because we have several years of evidence and several different quarterbacks and several different sets of circumstances that show us that the offense has not progressed even slightly in the correct direction. I understand that this team has gone eight and eight the last couple of years and gone to the playoffs twice. I don't think Matt Nagy deserves credit for what Vic Fangio did in 2018 and what the aggregate record looks like for this team. When you look at the body of work that this coaching staff has done, the coaching staff currently in Chicago, they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt. They don't deserve flipping the hourglass over before this year instead of two years ago just because they stumbled into Justin Fields. By the way, they did stumble into Justin Fields. They tried to stumble into several other quarterbacks this offseason. Obviously, the Russell Wilson thing, I feel like if they could have traded for Carson Wentz, they would have. This team, the Russ, I mean, there's so many different things to consider. I think just because they were desperate enough to trade up for Justin Fields doesn't mean this current regime deserves more time to make sure the Justin Fields thing succeeds. Because how many more years can you waste? They're going to have real cap space next year. And they have contracts that they can move on from. They don't have a first round pick, obviously. And they don't have even more picks because of other draft trades that they've made. But you're going to have a chance to try to rebuild this team around Justin Fields a little bit. Does this coaching staff and this front office deserve that chance? I mean, nothing. No, it's just it's it's just that simple. Like again, I don't want the guy to get fired. Like he seems like a nice guy. He's got a bunch of kids. Like he's I'm sure that they've settled into life in Chicago. That's a hard thing to do to anyone. I never want to. I never want to demand that or call for that for that exact reason ever. But at a certain point, you run out of reasons why this group deserves to keep running this team when you're about to go into year two of this quarterback and you've spent so much in terms of draft capital, in terms of like emotional energy into his success. I I think that a different group deserves to see that success through. I I think in the long run, the development of Justin Fields as Bears quarterback is more important to the organization's success than the happiness of Matt Nagy. And again, like, don't want anyone to get fired. But you also are being asked to do a job. And if I, you know, I work for ESPN, if I sent them whatever the written equivalent would be of that game plan against the Browns, I think I'd probably get in trouble. Um, I would not be able to sit there and say, oh, well, that's just my writing scheme. You know, if I wrote like a 300 word column and it was all in wingdings and total gibberish, uh, I would probably get get yelled at. So I I, I, I can't fault anyone for criticizing uh, Matt Nagy in the situation. I can't fault anyone for criticizing the offensive line, for criticizing the process that led to this offensive line. And granted, like this was not Justin Fields' best performance. Like he definitely made some mistakes in this game. But even if he had played great, this would have been hopeless. He was not ready to run that offense. And with that in mind, maybe you can say if you're not an well, he just wasn't ready. He wasn't ready to ask what you asked him to do, to do what you asked mm-hmm. him to do on Sunday. And that's on you. 
you should not, you should ask him to do some things that were more defined that helped protect him. It just, again, going back to the same points we've already been making, but it, Justin Fields wasn't great. He got no help from anything. Watch him have like a 400 yard game against the Lions this week now. Yeah, great. And the, trust me, do you know how many Mitchell Trubisky Lions games have saved this coaching staff in the eyes of Bears fans and everyone else? It, it's like was, clockwork at this point. I will say on Twitter, I felt like on Sunday, there was a little bit of a backlash from Trubisky truthers who were like, yeah, he would have been great if it hadn't been for Matt Nagy. I felt like that did pop up just a tiny bit on Sunday. I don't know if he would have been great, but I do think that this is a reminder that it probably wasn't all on Mitchell yeah, Trubisky. I mean, he made a lot of bad decisions. He, that that was he made a ton of bad decisions. But again, I, I there isn't a lot of help coming from a lot of different directions here. I, I don't think Mitchell Trubisky was the right quarterback for the Bears, but I also think that no one else associated with the offense in that organization had showered themselves in glory over. If the you last were Allen Robinson, years. what would it take for you to sign with this organization next year? A hundred million dollars a year. I want I want the rights to the bean. The bean, the bean, the bean, the bean is close down. Terrible agent. Unless I get why ten targets a game from a competent quarterback. I want the deed to Grant Park. I want to own the land that the bean is on, not the structure itself. You can give me like every. I want every single inch of real estate in the loop and thirty-five million dollars a year. If I'm Allen Robinson, I don't know. I I'm not sure I would take that. This is what a. Like, can we please just get him to Patrick Mahomes on a one-year contract? Like, who who's going to be sad about this? And the other thing, like, Alan Robin, I love Alan Robinson for what Alan Robinson is, but we got, we got Alan Robinson running slants from the slot. And it's just, it, oh, God. It, it, there's, that offense is unwatchable. It does nothing about it is enjoyable. I, I cannot believe the only- I, I cannot believe I have to keep watching it for the rest of the year. The only good thing is that that game was not on the Soldier Field All-22. I wish it was. It would have been harder to watch. <laughs> I, I would have killed for an obstructed view of what that game was. People complaining about Game Pass. The problem was Game Pass had too clear of a shot of what was happening in Cleveland. Um, let, let's talk about a, the other game we're going to discuss today, which was slightly better played. Uh, by one of the offenses. I guess maybe both of the offenses in this game, but certainly one of the offenses. Packers 30, 49ers 28. A really exciting Sunday night game. It sounded like from what you said on Twitter that you were watching this before we started recording. Well, yeah, because you you tell me we were going to watch it or we were going to talk about it. So yes, I started watching it so I could talk about it with some authority. Okay, well, now that you have watched it, uh, give me your big takeaway from what you saw closely watching this game. Honestly, I don't know if it's my big takeaway, but the first thing that I noticed, I was impressed with both of the defenses in this game. Really? I, I, th- I expected it to be kind of a disaster on the Packers part just because of the way they played over the first couple weeks. But I thought they tackled very well. I thought that their play in the front seven was better than I expected it to be. Like Tyler Lancaster played pretty well. They, they tackled really well in space, which is a must against the Niners. It's plagued this team in the past against the Niners. Uh, it seems oh, like sure. over the last decade, I mean, several one-on-one plays in space where the, the Niners are saying, we're going to get George Kittle one-on-one with the safety. Let's make this happen. And it didn't. And I, I thought that was impressive. I thought that the Packers secondary was playing with much more authority in this game, that the Darnell Savage played downhill on a couple balls, that 
you know, led to incompletions. Jair Alexander's interception is just really, really smart technique. He's on the backside against a post and corners. There's nobody in his zone, so he sprints to the post and makes an incredible play. I thought that the Niners secondary looked a lot better than I thought they would coming into this game. Thought Emmanuel Mosley played really well in his first game back. I thought that Josh Norman had some really good moments. Um, so yeah, I, I just thought that the, the secondaries and the defenses played better than I expected. I mean, coming into this game, I wouldn't have been surprised if each team just kind of marched up and down the field, and, and that's not what happened. You know, I thought that you know, the Niners' offense, you know, was, looked like the Niners' offense we've gotten used to. I thought that Rodgers made several incredible throws in, in high leverage moments, but. I think my main takeaway is just that these teams top to bottom are pretty darn good and are probably going to be around here for the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think there's little things you could pick here and there when it comes to coverage. But I mean, it felt like for, you know, the the, the quarterbacks in this game had to work for it. It wasn't like there were tons of wide open receivers making me place. I guess you could say at the end of the game, like the the two passes against, you know, deep zone coverage that. Those guys were open. Adams was open, but not really, though. (laughs) That was an incredible throw. Still required two really good throws to get the ball in there. And, you know, this is a this is a pair of teams where the secondary has not always been close in coverage, where there have been plenty of blown coverages, plenty of guys getting run over, plenty of big plays to be had. So I agree. I mean, this was a disciplined effort, I felt like, from the Packers. And I feel like the Niners, who are working with this podcast, is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. I mean, basically, backups at at, at cornerback. I mean, they have one of the worst cornerback depth charts in football. Um you know, Devontae Adams got his for sure. 12 of 18 for 132. Um, MVS, Alan Lazardi had 40 plus yard catches, but it felt like they gave the Niners a chance. And a game where, I mean, they didn't get a ton of pressure on Rodgers, if I'm not mistaken. They got a little bit here and there, but yeah, it was not it was not as bad as you thought, especially with a I mean, sort of third string left tackle in the game. I thought right. that the, the Packers uh, pass protection actually held up pretty well. I mean, Rodgers was forced to make several God-level throws in this game for, for them to win. I mean, touchdown to MVS is played perfectly. Like there, He's running a corner. The corner back sinks back into it. Rodgers has to layer that ball right over the cornerback's outstretched hand for, a t- for the touchdown. The throw he threw to Tanyan down the seam for that big pass interference mm-hmm. call that's incredible coverage by Fred Warner. Like, it's just absolutely incredible coverage. And the ball is on Tanyan's hands. He had a back shoulder throw to Devontae Adams with Josh Norman in coverage that you can't cover any better. Like, there's nothing you can do about that when you're playing cover three and you have those two guys who are arguably the best players in the NFL at their positions or in the top two. And they have incredible chemistry working with each other. Like, those are just those moments where the Packers are just better than you 
And sometimes that's going to be enough. But I thought that the Niners defense, it's just a testament to, I think, the way that the Niners have looked over the last couple years. When Whenever they've gotten injured, every time I watch them, it's like, God, those guys play hard. God, they're well coached. And I think that's why, even though the record isn't necessarily all that impressive, no one's calling for Kyle Shanahan's job. Because every single time you watch that team, it's like, ah, those guys just know exactly where they're supposed to be and exactly what they're supposed to accomplish. Mm-hmm. This was weird, though. I will say there was one difference because it felt like for a good chunk of this game, Kyle Shanahan didn't trust his running back to carry the football. Like this was the <laughs> this was the the Kyle Juszczyk game. I the one thing I will say about the Niners in the past that I give them way too often. You cannot trade up. You cannot trade a fourth round pick for a running back, which is what they traded to go up and get Trey Sermon and then have that running back be a healthy scratch in week one. You can't draft a receiver in the first round, have him look pretty good last year, and then through some weird, bizarre motivational yeah. tactic, decide that Trent Sherfield is going to get snaps over him in week one. Like it just, they're the roulette wheel they seem to spin when it comes to their skill position talent based on the strange whims of however the staff is feeling in that moment. That's a little tough, but that's really my only gripe w- with the way that they've game planned here over the first couple games in terms of the players that they've I used. Mean, the offensive approach in general, I think, leaves a lot to be desired with Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback. I mean, this feels like the the truth we all know about Kyle Shanahan, which is for 20 years now, the Shanahan family has hated fantasy football and <laughs> they are they're they're committed to destroy it. They know they built a system where any running back can succeed. So Anyone who invests a top tier draft pick at a running back is wasting their time. They're going to plug anybody in. Like Trent Sherfield's going to suddenly be a week one starter. Um, they're going to trade up for Joe Williams. They're going to trade up for Trey Sermon, and it's not going to matter. Like they're going to pluck someone off of five practice squads, like Raheem Mostert, and have that guy be their impact running back. Like there's there's no the things you can rely upon with other teams you can't rely upon with the 49ers and they make it work because you know Kyle Shanahan's really good and they have a lot of talent but um it can certainly be frustrating and I guess a couple things I want to discuss here before we wrap up one of them is I felt like the widespread agreement on the internet at halftime of this game that Jimmy Garoppolo was playing terrible football and the Niners had to insert Trey Lance at quarterback. I think that came up a bunch during the first half. It came up after his interception. Um, it came up again at halftime. I don't think I agree that this was the time to do it. How did you feel about it when that conversation was happening and then watching the tape again? I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo played poorly. I think that interception is a great play by Jair Alexander. I mean, it's hard to account yeah. for him in that moment. I think what Jimmy Garoppolo is asked to do within this offense he performs just fine. What they want him to be within this version of the system, he's able to accomplish it. He has a very quick trigger. He's good at delivering the ball over the middle of the field. He's very good at reading some of those high lows they do to linebackers, which they're very good at by putting those linebackers in conflict consistently in the passing game. And he's able to accurately and on time deliver those throws to that area of the field. That doesn't mean I want to watch that version of this offense. It's limited. It is limited. 
And I think that there is a reason they went out and traded up. They traded an exorbitant amount to go get Trey Lance. Even if Jimmy Garoppolo is performing his duties as a quarterback within this offense at a relative at a fine level, that doesn't mean I have to want to watch this. It's just not exciting. I mean, it is a limited offense. I think that Nate brought this up on our show on Sunday night. I think it's a great point. It is a corollary to what we saw with the Rams last year, where even if the offensive efficiency is fine, and I think the Rams were a little bit worse than the Niners are at this stage, but I do think it's a, it's, it's similar in some ways. Where you look at it, it's like, yeah, they can field like a pretty decent NFL offense, but there is meat left on the bone here. Like there is another sure. version of this with a more talented quarterback who can deliver the ball to areas of the field that are just off limits to the Niners right now, and just adding another layer to this run game where it's just hard to get excited about a Jimmy Garoppolo-led version of this Niners team when I think the Niners even admitted in making that trade that there's another gear they have to get to if they want to get where they want to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you feel like this was the time to make that change though? No. You're in the game. I mean, he's playing fine. No. I, I think that that's a certainly a during-the-week decision, not in the middle of a game decision. I, I think it's more about f- a philosophical choice than it is about injecting some energy into your offense. Like I think it's much more considered than at halftime of a game where it's you're in the game. Like that that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think at the very least you could have him be more of a part of the offense, especially in the red zone in short yardage. When we saw him come in for that one play where he uh, ran for a touchdown, he had a couple more snaps I think during the game as well. But that was the one where he came in. Um, that was his first snap. He had three snaps in total, but um, I think he could be more of a role, a person in that situation. Like, I don't think I I know that people love Kyle Juszczyk. Like, I don't think he should be your short yardage back. Um, if you don't trust Trey Sermon, I'd rather have Trey Lance be that guy. But um, I agree. I mean, I think that Jimmy Garoppolo, like, my issue was, you know, in March. When they were trading three first-round picks for a quarterback, did it make sense to keep Jimmy Garoppolo on the roster, guarantee him $25 million, not be able to throw that cap space over, not get a pick in return for him, and have him be a, you know, a guy who you're going to replace early in the season if he gets hurt? It didn't make sense to me. But now it's a sunk cost. He's on the roster. They didn't go out and get a replacement. They can't trade him now, or they have to eat the money now. So like, if you're ha- if you are happy enough with him, to have him as your week one starter and guarantee his salary, I, I don't think he's played poorly enough to have you make a change about that. I do think that, yes, like you said, this offense has a higher ceiling with another quarterback. But, I mean, they were in position to win this game if it weren't for some poor time management and a uh, two incredible throws from Aaron Rodgers on the long field goal. Like, Jimmy Garoppolo did enough in this game. I, I don't think that he was the problem here. I think you can certainly take issue with how Cal Shanahan handled the, the final 45 seconds of this football game. Yeah, absolutely. I think I was with you on the way that they handled the Garoppolo stuff in the offseason. But I honestly think that the way they've looked over the first couple weeks and even on Sunday, a game they could have won, is an argument for keeping Jimmy Garoppolo. Because if they're able to consistently win with Garoppolo and their opinion is that Trey Lance just isn't ready, I mean, there's a possibility that this team is, I don't know, eight and four 
and right in the mix in the NFC playoff race. And as they got Trey Lance ready, Jimmy Garoppolo was the perfect person to kind of shepherd this team through the first two thirds of the season. And at a certain point, they say, you know what? Trey's ready. Like we are ready to go to this guy. We are ready to see if we can take that next step offensively. And you haven't burned the first two thirds of the year. You're not four and eight because your quarterback is figuring it out. I don't know if that's a smart use of resources, but I do think this is exactly the type of thing they had in mind when they kept Jimmy on the roster. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I just wish that Kyle Shanahan would not have this thing keep happening to him late in games because I like what is your Shanahan. What's your problem? You think that they, they you Schechter shouldn't have scored? No, I think he should have scored, but I think with three timeouts, there is no reason for you to snap the ball on first and 10 from the 12 yard line with 12 seconds left in the game clock. Gotcha. No. Okay. Like, like, yes, maybe you don't want to snap it at one because you don't want to give the Niners or the Packers like a free rush or, or be able to, able to time the snap count. Do it at three seconds. Do it at four seconds. Take that nine seconds off the clock because it would be one thing if Jared Goff was on the other side of the field. And you'd be sitting here and say, okay, well, you know what? Jared Goff made two perfect throws. He beat us. Like, like we should, we, we couldn't have known Jared Goff was going to have the drive of his life with 30 seconds or 35 seconds and no timeouts. You know who the quarterback is on the other side of the field. You know what he can do. I certainly like, do. <laughs> like, don't, don't do that to yourself. Like if, if you get a long touchdown, like, Hey, that happens. Like you're not going to fault yourself for scoring too early. You had the ball inside the 15 yard line. Yes, there's a chance you could have a false start. Yes, there's a chance something could go wrong. You have three timeouts. You have the ability to make this the final possession of the football game. Do that. Don't don't make that mistake. And when you have that guy on the other side of the field, you should know better. That's that's the issue here for me. It's like it's not you know, I I don't fault Kyle Juszczyk in the slightest. Like once he catches that pass, go in. There's no issue whatsoever with Kyle Juszczyk there. Maybe you blame Garoppolo for snapping the ball at 12 seconds left. I don't know if they were telling him to hold down, hold it till three or four seconds, but that needs to be part of that communication because they cost themselves the game. They cost themselves um, a would it would have been a huge victory for the 49ers, and I. This isn't the first time with Kyle Shanahan, right? Like there are different kinds of problems, but he is a good enough coach. And the guy on the other side of the field is legendary enough for his last second drives to win games that you should have had that be one of the first thoughts on your mind. Where are you at watching the Niners offense right now? Like, do you enjoy it? I mean, I, I think I enjoy watching other teams run a similar style of offense more. Like I like watching the Browns more than the 49ers, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, the Browns are a much more vertical down the field version of this, right? Like the Niners are the Niners are playing a lot of shotgun. Right. Like the Niners are more of a, you know, death by a thousand paper cuts version of this offense. I mean, I can't I, I'm the numbers aren't in front of me, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if uh Jimmy Garo- if Jimmy Garoppolo was in the bottom three in air yards per target this season and Baker Mayfield was in the top three. Mm-hmm. A guy that I I I mean, it's hard to imagine two offense stylistically more different than that. And I think that's part of the reason. Just when I watch them, it's just like, ah, I don't know, man. Like it just, 
It just it, it does not excite me. Jimmy Garoppolo is third to last at air yards per target. It's five point eight. Baker Mayfield is like around like tenth or twelfth. That's also because they throw a lot of screens. I think that if you were to give me like the percentage of Baker Mayfield's throws that go fifteen or more yards down the field, I, I would assume it's up there near the top of the league where Jimmy Garoppolo is down at the bottom. I think that's part of it. It's like, yeah, it's efficient because of the types of skill position players that they have. But at the same time, it's like, ah, there's just, there's another gear to me. There is one more notch that and I just want to see if they can find it. Yeah. I mean, uh, Browns are fourth in attempts uh, by their quarterback that traveled 20 or more yards in the air. Packers, by the way, number one. Uh, the 49ers are 30th. Yeah. And see, uh, I mean, that's, I figured as much. Yeah. Uh, the Bears are 31st, and then the Falcons are dead last in 30 seconds. Speaking of offenses that have been wildly frustrating to watch this year. Yes, the Niners are not the, the Browns when it comes to their offensive style. They're not the Rams, but they are better than the Falcons and the Bears, which is a small victory. It's efficient, but it's not exciting. I think that's the thing. Like the, the, the pieces of it and the way it all fits together and the machine that it is, I guess, could be interesting. It is interesting. But it's it's no longer exciting to me. And I, I guess that's the disconnect. That doesn't matter. Like their job is to win football games. It's not to please me as a Rube football fan. But at the same time, it's I still don't I again, I think it's maybe because of the Lance thing. I think it's maybe because of what Stafford is doing in LA. It's just like I just want to see these guys with the this ultra talented quarterback that they can really use to great effect and just, you know, threw the ball down the field, all of that kind of stuff. So that, that, to me, is the disconnect, even if the offense is efficient, is working, is helping them win games. Can I ask you an unfair question to to finish the podcast here? You certainly may. Week one of the 2022 NFL season, where is Jimmy Garoppolo? <laughs> you said it like he's going to be like lost in a cave or something. No, no, no. no. I just, I'm trying to look at a list of NFL teams. <sighs> It's kind of hard to to know who's going to be looking for a quarterback next year, right? I mean, oh, you know, it's a great answer. Pittsburgh. I'm, I'm going to guess he is the Pittsburgh. Mm. I was going to say Texans. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. That there's a there's a natural connection there. I could understand that. Yeah, I, I would go Steelers. I think are a good pick. Texans are a good pick. I would say Washington could be in the discussion. Oh my god! Or, or maybe the New York Giants. Who, I don't know if quarterback is their problem, but certainly not the solution either. Ah oh, man, I, too bad we're out of time and can't talk about the Giants. What a shame! Oh, oh, don't worry sorry about it, buddy. We're we're, uh, we're doing a deep a deep Giants dive with Dan Duggan on my show later this week. So if you're a Giants fan. Please come check it out or don't <laughs> either way. <laughs> well, please tell people Robert May is about that show. Uh, I have a podcast it's called the athletic football show. Uh, we do it five days a week uh, now, which may have been misguided, but we do it five days a week now. Uh, it's a different flavor every single week or every single day. So tomorrow we will be having uh, Chris Vass or coach fast on Twitter. We're going to do a deep dive on just how teams create there are pressure packages. He's been a coach at the college level, the high school level. You know, a lot of the stuff that the Panthers are doing right now has been of great interest to people. And I just don't really understand how you create a blitz package. Like I understand base defense to some extent, but that's something that I'm really interested in. He knows a lot more than me. So we're going to dive into that today uh, on Wednesday's show. And uh, 
Yeah, Thursday, we're going to have a conversation with our Giants writer. Friday, we do our preview with me and Nate Tice. I mean, the different spin on different shows every single day. So if you want to come check out, do it a la carte, see what works for you. Uh, I would really appreciate that. Awesome. Well, thank you for braving that all 22 and coming to talk us with that, talk with us about Justin Fields and that game, because literally I would not have been able to do a show without it. Well, I appreciate that, buddy. I was going to watch it anyway because I hate myself, so I might as well do it for a reason. As always, thanks to my buddy Robert Mays of The Athletic. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. Um, I hope the Bears do better next week. That was brutal to watch. Um, I would not recommend you watch that All-22 if uh, you have access to Game Pass or All-22 through other means. Uh, That was not a fun experience. But we will have more audio coming next week, more NFL coverage more NFL content. Hope you guys enjoy this episode and more on the way next week.